Welcome to Podcastus. I'm your host, Andrew Roof. We are back with another commentary episode. This is going to be our last commentary episode for a while. I'm going to get back to focusing on long form. More specifically, finishing up part three of our series on segregation and the civil rights movement in St. Augustine, Florida. If you haven't checked out part one and part two of that series, I recommend you do. Today is December 17th, 2020, and I'm still distracted most of the time by a very simple question, which is what in the hell is happening in the United States of America? Now, if you're listening to this shortly after it was released, you're going to understand why I'm saying that. But if you're listening to this a few years down the road, it's hard to describe what's happening in the U.S. right now. We're at one of those points in history that's going to be studied for years down the road, and not for good reasons. First off, the COVID-19 pandemic's at its peak right now. It's raging across most of the country, killing somewhere around ten to 15,000 people a week. And the federal government and a lot of state governments are still pretending it's not that big of a deal. We have governors like Florida's Rick DeSantis stating flatly that there will be no measures put in place to prevent the spread of the virus. Secondly, we have President Trump still refusing to accept the fact that Joe Biden won the 2020 presidential election. The Electoral College recently confirmed Biden won, but Trump and his hardcore supporters are still vowing to fight. I honestly don't know how they're going to fight on, as they've lost every court battle, and the states and the Electoral College have made things official. Short of armed resistance, Trump has no path to contest the election. But as bad as the pandemic is, and as exhausting as Trump's mania has left me, if I was forced to pick what posed the most long-term danger to our nation, I'd have to go with the deteriorating relationship between ordinary Americans. We have vaccines coming in the next year to slow COVID-19, and it looks more likely that Trump's going to abandon the White House and move to Florida soon. But the division splitting the U.S. apart don't seem to be getting better. In fact, they seem to be getting worse by the day. A lot of people who lean left are placing the blame on Donald Trump alone, as if everything was fine before he came into office. But that's not the case. The growing rift between Americans is like a fire we've all noticed smoldering in the woods. Over the years, we've had a few, we need to come together and put this fire out speeches, but no one's done anything substantial to extinguish it. And then in 2016, Trump walked up to the fire with a propane cylinder and a can of gas and asked if he should throw them in. Half the country screamed no, and the other half chanted, throw them in. And this has gone on for four years, and now the fire has grown out of control. Politics has always been messy, and it's never been perfect. Clearly, a lot of our citizens, especially minorities and people on the lower end of the economic ladder, have been severely underrepresented in government since this nation was founded. But for a brief period of time during the Obama era, it felt like we had a chance to turn a corner and move in a more positive direction as a nation. But that hopeful feeling's gone, and we're in a really bad spot right now. I'm only 42, but I remember a time when our elected representatives seemed to be interested in governing, but that's not the case anymore. You know, If an alien came to Earth and observed our elected representatives for a week, they'd probably report that these people did interviews, they tweeted, they raised money, they made fun of people, and they worked to get jobs for their friends and family. Which is why most Americans view the federal government with such contempt that the approval rating of Congress is down to around 13%. Even in the darkest days of the 1960s, when the nation was being perpetually rocked by assassinations, clan violence, and social revolution, enough elected representatives from both sides of the aisle somehow managed to come together and pass the Civil and Voting Rights Acts. Would it be possible to pass challenging bipartisan legislation today? 
I don't think so, because our government's seriously damaged, and neither party would be willing to step across the aisle and work together on anything that would jeopardize their ability to raise money or win elections. The parties and a lot of our elected representatives have shifted their focus from working to make the U.S. a better place for its citizens to simply getting reelected at any cost using any strategy that works for them. You know, I'd argue that 30 years ago, the Democratic and the Republican National Parties were like rival car clubs. You know, Ford and Chevy, Mustangs and Corvettes. The members gave each other a hard time at the car shows they attended, but in the end, they were both there to appreciate cars, go on drives. They had a common goal. But today, the political parties are like opposing forces in a well-financed demolition derby. They don't seem to have a common goal. They're not interested in governing or making ordinary American lives better. They just want to raise money all the time and destroy the other side. Instead of encouraging Americans to be better for the sake of the nation and each other, a lot of our politicians encourage us to hate each other all the time because that's the strategy they've settled on to stay in power. The GOP has been especially vicious on this front. Trump spent the last four years accusing not just his political enemies, but ordinary citizens of being anti-American, of being communists, terrorists, rhinos, and God forbid socialists. Senator Ted Cruz, who has an undergrad from Princeton and a law degree from Harvard, spends his days as a professional Twitter troll, stroking the flames of online hatred. But it's important to be honest and state that the left, which I include myself to be a member of, is not completely innocent in this either. But our responsibility lies more in promoting and going along with policies that have helped create the tinderbox that's allowed this fire to grow so quickly. For decades, the Democratic Party has paid lip service to working class people of all races and creeds. Our elected representatives took our votes and our loyalty for granted. Jobs went overseas, labor unions were snuffed out, and real opportunity vanished for a lot of hardworking Americans who went from working 40 hours a week and having a little money to save to working 40 hours a week and being broke. Instead of realizing their mistakes and making changes, Democratic leaders have stayed the course and have attempted to funnel all the frustration and anger felt by the middle class into defeating Republicans at the polls as if the GOP was solely responsible for the plight of the middle class. I'm baffled that the media continues to be confused by middle class and lower class dedication to Trump. To be clear, there's a lot of factors at play, including racism and intolerance. But to me, it's obvious that a lot of these voters are fleeing the Democratic Party because they feel abandoned. Trump said all the things they wanted to hear, all the things the Dems used to actually do, like fight for manufacturing jobs and taking on Wall Street, Voters aren't as dumb as the media likes to make them out to be. Over the past couple decades, they've watched their elected representatives spend a lot more time cozying up to Wall Street investment firms and passing legislation that makes it easier for well-paying jobs to go overseas, and a lot less time making sure people that work 40 hours a week aren't going broke. Our system's been corrupted by corporate interests in cash, and a lot of the electorates become so disenfranchised that they're willing to follow somebody like Trump who in a lot of ways was just making the same promises that the Democrats have failed to deliver on. I'm very interested to see what the Biden administration has planned as far as our governing strategy. If they continue using the same playbook that Obama and Clinton used, I think we're in real danger. The average American citizen isn't going to put up with being ignored much longer, especially with the financial uncertainty we're facing now. We came close to political Armageddon with Trump, but we were lucky that Trump didn't know how to operate the controls of government. If we keep going down this path and happen to find ourselves in a major recession or, God forbid, a depression, all bets are off. Our game of Democratic Demolition Derby 
reached its fever pitch, when the economy was roaring, when joblessness was low. Historically, that's when people get along. The shit usually hits the fan when the economy goes off the rails. So what can be done to fix the situation we're in? There's the policy side and the communication side. We've already talked a little about the policy side, and I'm no policy wonk, so I won't bore you pretending that I am. But the simplest way to tell if the Biden administration is making any progress is to pay attention to how much howling you hear coming from corporate America and Wall Street. In my eyes, if they're silent, Biden isn't doing something right. When they start screaming about how some new policy is going to leave average workers poorer or out of jobs, or that the economy is going to collapse if they're forced to follow some new rule, that's when real change is happening. You know, they screamed when child labor was taken away from them. They howled when a minimum wage was put in place. The same with the five-day work week and workers' compensation. Now they're battling against paid sick days, a $15 an hour minimum wage, and maternity leave. Every other Western nation has a better social safety net than the U.S. does, and it hasn't caused their economies to collapse. It's time we catch up. I live in Canada now, after spending my first 37 years in the U.S. And the relief of having health care, maternity leave, and a better overall social safety net can't be overstated. The Biden administration needs to push hard against corporate America. The average American voter from the left and the right will know if the efforts are real or just more speeches and meaningless slogans. American workers aren't going to put up with working 40 hours a week and being poor much longer. The other part of ending this demolition derby is communication. More specifically, communication on social media. The Biden administration needs to come up with a creative solution to deal with the dumpster fire that's social media. I'd love to see a campaign that calls on all politicians to end the online wars. At the very least, they could push for Democratic politicians and Republican politicians to stop engaging in these troll wars. So when Ted Cruz or Tom Cotton post some drivel about the left wanting to take away Christmas, everybody would just ignore it. We wouldn't engage. We've been eased into this situation. In the year 2020, It seems normal to look at your phone the second you wake up to see what Trump said on Twitter overnight. If he said something outrageous, you might scroll through the comments and get into an early morning Twitter war with a complete stranger. It's easy to forget that only a few years ago, if you wanted to argue with or talk shit to somebody, you had to do it in person. Today, a lot of people spend hours of their day saying terrible things to people on the other side of the political aisle, things they'd never, ever say to a human being in person. At least they never would have before today's charged environment. Because we're starting to see the online hate spill over into everyday life. An average Joe or Jane in a small town somewhere in America can have her day ruined because she gets a message from a complete stranger on Twitter calling her a Nazi or a libtard. The stranger could be anyone. It can be a 13-year-old kid in Eastern Europe or a college kid drinking with his buddies in Nebraska or even a senator or the president of the United States. But it doesn't matter. Her day's been ruined by some Trump-supporting a-hole or a commie-loving libtard. She goes to work and listens to right-wing radio or left-wing podcasts. She scrolls through her Facebook page that's tailor-made to fire her up even more. She talks to her friend in the cubicle next to her, who feels the same way. And then she goes home and listens to Fox News or MSNBC for three hours. Talks to her husband about the horrible message she got on Twitter that morning. And she does this for four years. It's not a surprise that she starts viewing anybody from the other side of the aisle as an enemy. We all have to work to change the tone that's been sent by Trump's outrageous use of social media. These platforms are both amplifying 
and covering up our deep national scars, traumas, and injustices, including racism, sexism, and grossly unfair economic policies. The glass-half-full side of me thinks that Trump speeding this process up was maybe a good thing. You know, rip the veil off. Let everybody see what's happening. And maybe we'll all start working on repairing the damage. I don't think we can legislate ourselves out of this mess. But new laws could play a role. Social media companies are monetizing our private information and making a fortune doing it. Most Americans have no understanding that Facebook exists to collect data about you, your friends, your kids, what you buy, who you hate. They don't exist so that you can share pictures with your grandkids. They exist to make money off you and your data. Legislation that demands transparency and requires social media companies to let people opt out of, or even pay a premium to opt out of having their personal data collected, could bring real positive change. I'd love to see a setting on Twitter and Facebook that allows the user to have a non-political feed whenever they want. The 24-hour online hate cycle that many Americans are in isn't healthy. Giving people an easy way to step outside of it would be a start. We have our work cut out for us if we're going to change the direction the U.S. is heading. But do we really have a choice? I'd argue no. The direction we're heading is unsustainable and dangerous. You can't have two opposing sides standing nose to nose, screaming obscenities at each other for an indefinite amount of time. Because eventually something's going to give. Especially right now. The history buff in me looks at our current situation and sees all the ingredients for disaster. A global pandemic. Joblessness. An economy that could fall apart at any moment. And political instability. We need to get our house in order so that we can deal with what could be coming. I'm hoping that Biden his administration, and all of our elected representatives are ready to step up to these incredible challenges. Thanks for listening.